<laughs> Living in a scientific age, we need citizens who know enough about science to make intelligent decisions about what they do. We use science to, to prolong life, to increase security and happiness. But it can also be used for destruction. Are we going to use it constructively? It'll be up to you, and you too. <laughs> Hi, Todd. Did someone comically fall off a cliff in in a nineteen eighties movie? That's that's a foreshadowing to okay. uh, to today's uh, topic. How are you doing? I, I I think I'm doing okay. I'm not sure now. Usually, like at the end at the end of the year, like in November and December, kind of uh, mentally, I kind of go into that into that feeling where you just kind of put your head down and you just kind of one day at a time through it, not because of like, you know, you're trying to get over anything, but just like all the quote unquote happiness and cheer, like all of that just push at the end of the year. And that kind of sometimes lasts into January just because January is kind of a weird month in between Christmas and then it's both of our birthdays in February. So it's Mm -hmm. kind of like a nothing month. Right. Um, but we were talking before the show a little bit and I was like, I think I'm like, I'm either completely disengaged mentally and emotionally or I'm doing okay. <laughs> and I don't know which one it is. Or or maybe you're okay because you've disconnected emotionally. That could be too. Well, and I'm coming down to, it was uh, the Consumer Electronics Show last mm-hmm. week. Uh, and so I was working with a company doing some... Uh, helping them with their reporting and writing articles for interviews that they've done. And over the course of like, I don't know, seven, seven or eight days or so, I wrote just a buttload of interview write-ups. And I think I'm coming off the the stress of, of not knowing when it's going to come in and how fast to get it out and blah, 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 and, and all that. So that's kind of nice to have behind me. Uh, yeah, and... Over over here, we got um, identical triplets uh, for goldfish. Did you know about our goldfish? Really? Yeah. No, I we, did not. We named them major, minor, and diminished. Uh, and the only way that we can tell them apart is by their scales. I need to practice on this thing. I'm getting a little rusty with yes. my with your concert grade slide con- whistle. <laughs> and I forget it every time you surprise me with a joke <laughs> and I have to go digging joke. for it in my bag. <laughs> that was I don't remember last week's but or la- the last time we recorded but I I think that was a better joke than whatever it was <laughs> that last one that you told. <laughs> Oh, that's right, because we didn't do a show last week because I went back to visit my uh, mom and dad in eastern Washington. Totally. Super spreader. So, yes, we are at a super spreader event at the Workoven Estates. Uh, no, thankfully, they were the safest people in the world to be around because they had both just gotten through COVID. And my um, my dad, had, uh, he ended up in the hospital for uh, a week. Exactly. Yeah. And. So I wasn't, and my mom, my mom didn't really have other than, I think we talked about this before, just kind of some nausea symptoms and not anything super bad. And, um, 
so I was kind of nervous, you know, to to see my dad because uh, they're 72 years old and they're they're very healthy usually and they're very active and all that. And so I'm not used to them like looking old or elderly right. or anything. And I'm like, well, at, you know, you're in a week in a hospital. That's that's not good. So like right. I was trying to be like, I d didn't know what to expect when I saw him, what he would look like or but like he looked amazing. He looked just like, oh, I lost five pounds or whatever, just like a little lighter. But like yeah. his energy was great. Oh, that's and his, great. Yeah. So really everything. Great yeah. So he's still a little tired, obviously. And I'm sure. <sighs> and he kind of knows that, too, where probably for the next couple months, probably he'll be kind of rebuilding that. But yeah, very, very happy to have him him back home. And it was I think that's part of why I'm a little more peaceful, too, is just having seen my family at all which was kind of nice and right. it's just they do live up on a hill in the middle of nowhere and so like even though i was writing stuff for consumer electronics show is like it was very removed and very peaceful and very very just kind of the same as it usually is which was something that not didn't happen a lot last year since nothing was the same as it usually was so but yeah, that was pretty great. So I sent you, and maybe you can read it. I, I didn't give you a warning as to as to pull it up, but um, I sent you a text message last night, and I wanted you to. So while you're pulling that up, um, who's the Italian? That one? <laughs> uh, no, no, wrong message. Wrong message. <laughs> Uh, no, yeah, just read that. The, read the first big chunk of that, and not that little second part, because then I'll I'll get into oh, how. Uh, so I sent you the. I just uh, last night at uh, nine eleven. Never forget uh, last <laughs> night. I sent you a text message that started. I just stumbled on. Um, and you, you sent it to my phone. I sent it, yeah, to our text message. Your, uh, you and you and me and Nick's text chain that we always text back and forth to. Um, I did not think this is such a complicated. No, uh, I, I don't think I've received that text. I was uh, yeah. You exclamation pointed it last night too. So I uh, so I saw. Tomorrow. I remember that, but it's not on my. Okay, so computer. I just hold, text, on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me. Yeah, I just texted you to the the number that we always text to. So. Okay. And it's right above the video of the super powered bug zapper. Oh, that. So funny. So. Computers. Unless that was, it could have been no, the no, no. Nick, Nick my my phone received it, but my desktop messenger, which oh, mirrors that, does yeah. not. Okay. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The false memory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> blah 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 blah. False memory. Um, uh, so yeah, I sent you this stuff. So just you can just read the text, and that'll okay. be a setup for. Uh, so Mark, I just stumbled on a. Uh, super fascinating false memory that I believed my entire life that I thought happened to me when I was 10. About 10 minutes ago, I started unraveling the thread of what I thought happened, what did happen, and two unrelated but fascinating events that revolve around it, one of which has an explosive third, <laughs> third act twist, which I didn't even know about. And it all has its base in the Night Stalker. Yes. So on Netflix right now, there is a little uh, mini docu-series, a four-part uh, documentary series about the Night Stalker. And you and I have talked a lot about the Night yep. Stalker on this show. We've talked about the Night Stalker because both of us were living in, in Southern California at the time. This was 1985. And I 
probably for you it was even freakier because so much of that happened in and around Monrovia where I, I forget where you live, but I know your grandma lived there. Yes, they they did. By by 85, we were out of Monrovia and down in San Diego. So okay, uh, okay. And so that was where we used to live. And so we were very familiar, <laughs> but not directly impacted. Okay, yeah. So, <clears throat> but I've... Um, I've told the story probably several times on this podcast about how the Night Stalker was it was extra freaky for me, not because just because um, where I lived was 40 miles east of Los Angeles, but it was a hot summer and my, my mom and dad always kept the doors and windows open. And that's how the Night Stalker was getting yeah. in. And there was no pattern to his victims and what he would do and like all that. And it was such and that summer, of course, it was one of those record heat waves or whatever. And just so like the the feeling of that summer, I just remember. So I would have been 10 in the summer of 1985. And so I told the story a lot that I was extra scared because in Chino Hills, I lived in a place called Chino and Chino Hills was kind of the next city over. And it's kind of a new development at that time. Uh, and there was a family there that was um, attacked and all of them were killed except for one of them. It was like four or five people. One of the neighbor kids had come over to like spend the night there and like, you know, someone broke in and murdered them. And um, that was kind of all part of that Night Stalker summer. And so every time I hear the Night Stalker, I think of that. And that's usually the story I tell. been telling that for years. And so I'm watching this docu-series and I'm like he's you know they're going through all his victims and his patterns and all that and the and the hunt to to find out who was doing it and all that and and I'm like all right well you know the next episode I guess you know apparently the Chino Hills one must have been pretty late in the run because we're on the end of episode three and then at the end the beginning of episode four he gets caught and I'm like well what like how this is the night stalker story the night stalker was in southern california and he murdered this family including the kid who came, like i had all these weird details about this family that was murdered in chino hills which you know i didn't have any other any other it's not like i followed murder trials or whatever but that just was in and so the documentary ended blah 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 and and so it was like well what in the world like, how am I even going to look this up now? Like this memory that I have. And so I just typed all the information I could remember into Google, you know, Chino Hills, family murdered, neighbor boy, sleepover, closet, because one of them was found in the like all this stuff. And of course, it popped the story right up because it was a very famous thing. And so not only was that murder not committed by the Night Stalker did not happen in 1985 it happened in 1983 so when i was eight that happened was this the hillside strangler it was not the hillside strangler okay. it was not anything to do with any of the other okay like serial killers so not even in that realm <clears throat> and so i was like oh, that is so crazy that and so that's a separate thing and then i'm like well what's the deal with this like why am i reading stories from 2016 about this murder in 1983 in a random so it turns out of course uh the man who was arrested for it was found innocent like 30 years later okay and despite the fact that the survivor the one of this the only survivor of this um this murder attack or whatever 
was like, hey, it was three Mexicans. And so what do they do? They arrest a black guy and send him to jail for 30 years. So, and there's like literal 30 years of evidence of the police department and all that, like destroying evidence and covering oh, up their, tr- like it wasn't like an accident. And then he was exonerated because right. of DNA. It was like this concerted effort over the course of the 30 years to, so that alone was like an interesting story, but to, to grapple with how this memory, how those two became linked when they were pretty far apart when two years is pretty far. And so it's, it's been fascinating to me to be like, wow, this thing that I was certain of my whole life that happened to me was not at all what really happened. And I, I mean, I know that we've talked about it before on the show where humans ability to remember uh, and recall information is so flawed because we construct things in our brain that didn't exist to help fill in gaps. And so, and there's there's super famous experiments with this with kids, of course, uh, you know, totally unethical, but <laughs> you can uh, you can plant memories in children pretty easily where you're like, Hey, you know, remember last week when we went to ice cream on on Thursday in the yellow car? They're like, no. And then you you go about your your business, and then two days later you ask the same question, and they're like, oh, well, no, I I don't really recall that. And then you start to describe it, uh, and then you give it a gap, and you give it some time, and then pretty soon they're like. Oh, yeah, yeah. On Thursday, we went in the yellow car to get ice cream, and I had blueberry ice cream or whatever. And and they recall what has been planted in their head, and now it is a verifiable memory that they have that you can create in their brains. And and we're like that. And, and so we do that to ourselves, and we how do I know what memories are real or not? I don't. Yeah. It's it, <laughs> well, is... and that just goes to show you how, like I've been thinking, thinking a lot, you know, I think like everyone in this country, just really trying to parse all the different things that are happening and how they're happening, blah, blah, blah. And things like uh, advertising and marketing, uh, which you and I have been doing for our entire adult lives and how like I know what it's like um, to sit in the the basement of the house that I used to live in um, because my wife was having like book club or whatever so it was too noisy and I had a project so I went downstairs into our unfinished kind of gross scary basement or whatever and I wrote the copy the website uh, copy for Turtle Island Resorts which is one of the most prestigious and beautiful private islands in the in as part of the fiji islands and i for some reason on that project just thought it was so funny that i'm sitting in this like freezing cold dripping gross basement i I remember that basement didn't it have a little room in the corner that it It was like the kill room (laughs) or the yeah it totally did yeah it was the furthest away you know your your home was on the corner and so it, it was the furthest away from the corner so that, you know, the screams could be muffled the most. And 
<laughs> so yeah, I always remember <clears throat> writing that project, and like it's so funny because you think of all people who would never fall for advertising, since I know like I've written copy for cereal for food for like for everything and i know the process and i know what it's like and i know but i fall for that the most like i stand there in the grocery store and i read the labels and <laughs> the one that tells me what i want to hear i you know agree with and believe and absolutely and so that idea of sales people being the easiest people to sell to like all of that just all of these psychological things that just play into like and and hearing things over and over and over. And so like things like propaganda work, not because people are stupid, but because people think, well, I can never fall for that. So like right. if I was like, well, I'm a copywriter, I'd never fall for, you know, reading copy, knowing that it's bullshit and believing. Well, if I need to know that so I don't fall for that. And it's just this whole, yeah, it's, I think, I think people are, are still, and I'm still continually shocked at just how, how biologically basic we still are, despite what we think about ourselves as human beings, because human beings as a collective are sending people to Mars to live on it. We think all of us are that advanced and you know like it's it's just very fascinating and very sobering uh to be like oh this isn't like rehab rehab isn't for dumb people it's like you right. become an alcoholic because you're like well i would never become an alcoholic i'm not that guy or i'm i'm too smart for that or like i'm too whatever and and just how we're just trapped by our own hubris and and all that. So anyway, so that's what I've been thinking about the last couple of days. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that Night Stalker thing, it, that just really threw me for a loop to to face that. <laughs> I love it. That false memory. Uh, do you have any news? I do. I had to cut so much news out, which it was funny. There was just a lot of news and like not of it. <laughs> Not a lot of it having to do with the insurgency. but um, <laughs> So, yeah, I've got a couple things. Uh, Google workers have formed the company's first ever union. So hundreds of the uh, Google employees and its parents, uh, Alphabet, have launched the union, a rare step in the tech industry that also represents the biggest and most organized challenge yet to the company's leadership. Uh, it began, the work to build the union began in secret two years ago because you have to do all of this on the download because much like uh, Walmart and other companies like that, they have um, Amazon does union busting and tries to prevent its people from organizing uh, both legally uh, through legal means and illegal means and all of that. So um, this was kind of interesting. Unions can be federally certified when a majority of the workplace votes to support one uh, in an election. Uh, alternatively, a union can be voluntarily uh, recognized by an employer if enough workers indicate they'd like to be in a union. But Google's have gone with a third option that for now does not anticipate formal recognition. Uh, that's because traditional collective bargaining agreements, quote, almost always exclude contractors, uh, which is a non-starter for Google. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting that they're uh, being able to start to... Uh, 
start that process and stuff like that because I think the biggest thing we're all learning about these gigantic corporations is uh, how much they exploit the workers that do all of the things that are giving them the profits that they are quote unquote earning. Indeed. And one of the biggest shill games that big tech especially plays is uh, using contractors that they bring right up to the edge of being employees uh, but not over that line uh, so that they can not have to pay employment taxes and, and all well, this yeah, stuff. I mean, it's, it's the terrible. same same thing that it's you it's, when you're hired at Walmart, you will never be hired full time. You will be as at 39 hours a week so that they don't have to pay for health care and all right. that your taxes and all that stuff, too. So, yep. Ah, well, these two stories are very similar. I pulled them at different times, but um, so there is a connection between the use of old Sears complexes and Disneyland because they are both going to be used for uh, mass COVID-19 vaccination sites. Saw that. So, um, yeah, giant buildings like old uh, malls and those things that have gone out of business and Disneyland uh, are going to be used for that. So as far as the Disneyland uh, specifically goes, the bulk of Disneyland has been closed since the onset, obviously, and that's going to be serve as the first super point of dispensing, which is P.O.D. for short, pod for short, point of dispensing site for COVID-19 vaccines in Orange County. The site is expected to become operational later this week. I actually saw someone I knew from down there uh, at Di- He's like, I'm at Disneyland, going to go get my <laughs> vaccine. <laughs> Um, so the testing or, uh, Los Angeles County announced that it's COVID testing operation at Dodger stadium will be phased out. So that also can be used into a large scale vaccination location. So, um, that's been interesting too, because I, um, because I am a, here's an interesting question I was going to post on Facebook, which is probably a terrible idea. So because I am classified as a, um, home healthcare worker, because I work with kids and families, um, I am on the A, the one A tier of getting the vaccination. So right now, um, I'm hoping tomorrow to call to see, make an appointment or something like that. I tried to do it online, but like, there's no, like, I think either the calendar is broken or like <laughs> there are just no testing anywhere. And I think both of that is probably true, but my ethical, it's not really a, I don't know if it's a moral or ethical one. Uh, dilemma but uh so i i am in in that category that is allowed to get one so i don't think it is an ethical dilemma but morally i know that i work with one primarily with one family right now i am a a rather healthy individual i am being safe and stuff like that so i know the covid vaccine is they they need a lot of it and it's going to be very scarce and there's going to be a lot of people who really need it that aren't going to be able to get it until who knows when. And because I'm not sure yet if the vaccine prevents me being a contagion or me being able to spread yep. it to me, that the thing that I'm concerned about is like, I don't want to give it to the people around right. me. I'm not right. super. I mean, I w- would be very concerned getting it. Like, I don't think yep. it's a. It's just a flu or whatever. So I'm wrestling with: Should I, for now, since I am with one family and that's kind of I'm still quarantining away from that, should I just kind of wait until things are super readily available, 
or should I get it and kind of hope, well, maybe this will stop the spread as well? Or I don't know. What do you think? Uh, so so my my personally personal belief is the more uh, and I would reference science, not me <laughs> in this in this conversation, just for clarification, I would say uh, go with the proclamation that you uh, should take it uh, as as quickly as possible basically you are working with a family and it is only one family but that family uh, are both parents working from home and no they are working at the mall yeah, at the mall and so what what you become by being vaccinated is one break in the chain uh, and so if they brought it to you, you wouldn't be able to spread it to someone else. And and it does when you are vaccinated, you will not you know, the uh, the virus load in your body won't ever develop because it gets killed by your antibodies and, and your white blood cells that that are now vaccinated against it. And so you don't become a spreader. Is that you, something? It dies off quickly. What I thought I heard, and I haven't been following it super, super closely, is that I, I thought for right now, they weren't sure that if you get the vaccine, you can still be someone that passes it around or it, spreads uh, it. Or, like it didn't, that doesn't make yeah. sense in my head, but I'm not very smart when it comes to, <laughs> yeah. um, viral I, spreads I, and all. I haven't done the research so I I shouldn't be referenced as a as an expert <laughs> in this but uh I I would say, you know, what we're trying to do is get as many people vaccinated as possible to break down the chain reaction that happens. Uh you know, we can break that chain by self-isolating and quarantining by uh, distance and wearing masks and by vaccination. And so it's it's one of the three legs of the fire pyramid, if you will. Uh, and and you should should take that and and stop the the okay. chain reaction. That's, okay. that's yeah. my belief. That'll, the, and I kinda wanna do it too just to like get the little car or like cause I, I yeah. still have never been tested for it. So like I haven't really gotten a lot of the Oh, did you have to do this during COVID right. type thing? <laughs> so maybe that's where that's where I'll start. So, uh, well, speaking of gigantic corporations like we were uh, about Amazon and Walmart, Elon Musk is now the richest person in the world, passing Jeff Bezos. So he now has a worth of a hundred and eighty-five billion dollars. Thursday's increase in Tesla share prices pushed Musk past past Jeff Bezos, who had been the richest person at 184 billion. So Musk now has one billion more. Um, Elon Musk wealth surge over the past year uh, marks the fastest rise to the top of the rich list in history, and marks a dramatic financial turnaround for a uh, the famed entrepreneur. So good for Indeed. him, I yep. guess. He he and I are almost exactly the same age, and uh, he's one of the smartest, richest people in the world. And I'm Mark Middleton. <laughs> uh, I hear he's not on Mark and Todd cast, so he can <laughs> go true. pound sand. <laughs> 
well, I believe you told me to flag the story a while ago. Um, a Missouri woman who is believed to be the last Civil War widow dies. So Helen Viola Jackson. Yes. Uh, her 1936 marriage to James <clears throat> Bolin was unusual to say the least because he was 93 and in declining health. And she was, yes, 17 years old and in school. So Bolin was also a Civil War veteran who fought for the Union in a border state of Missouri. Um, Jackson was almost certainly the last remaining widow of a Civil War soldier when she died in December 16. She was 101 years old. So um, she hid this for the almost her whole life, except for the final three years of her life, says her pastor and longtime friends. In those final years, she embraced the recognition that included a spot in the Missouri Walk of Fame and countless of other cards from well-wishers. So uh, she grew up the one of 10 children in the <coughs> tiny southwestern Missouri town of Niangua near Marshfield. In case you want to go there for vacation, <laughs> go to Marshfield and then somewhere near there is at Niangua. So she was uh, blah, blah, blah. So um, we we were horrified when we heard those numbers initially and we're like six. You know, she was 16 when she met him and everything. Well, it turns out she was his caretaker, uh, kind of home nurse, and she was financially destitute, and knew, he knew that she would be losing her job when he died. Oh. And so he married her so that she could have his pension. Wow. Oh, yeah. It says that it, it doesn't go into that as detail, but... um. So her father volunteered her uh, to be Bolin's home to provide care and to help with chores. Yep. To pay back for her kindness, Bolin offered to marry Jackson, which would allow her to receive the soldier's pension after his death, a compelling offer in the context of the Great Depression. So right. a hero up until the day he died. <laughs> yeah. And so she had a, a pension from what year? 1930? 1936. 1936 <laughs> until 2020. Wow. Uh, and uh, what what a <laughs> what a little loophole. Seriously. <laughs> she, Do pensions she, change like at, yes. with inflation? Okay. Yep. Oh, wow. Yep. So, <laughs> so she, it so wasn't she got like this... $6 anymore. It was, <laughs> you know, adjusted for inflation. Yes. That's crazy. Well, good for her. Good for him. Good for yep. everyone. Good, good for the Civil War. <laughs> uh, well, the CIA uh, has released UFO quote <clears throat> black vault documents early, and here's how to see them online. So, because of the Freedom of Information Act, thousands of CIA documents on unidentified flying objects, or as they call them, unidentified aerial phenomena (UAPs), um, are now accessible. Uh, the CIA claims they have now provided all the information on UAP they have, though there is no way to tell that if that is true. The, re the release comes months after the Pentagon was due to brief Congress on all they know, which was part of that weird COVID-19 relief bill from last January or December. Uh, the demands for alien the demand for alien intel became so much that the CIA eventually compiled it onto a CD-ROM <laughs> because it's. <laughs> 1993 I, they sent it out with copies of the encyclopedia britannica uh it was so it was uploaded to the black vault which must be some sort of um public information website uh in a bunch of downloadable pdfs 
So uh, the guy that did this said that he believes the documents are made difficult to parse for calculated reasons. The CIA has made it incredibly difficult to use their records in a reasonable manner, he says. In my opinion, the outdated format makes it difficult for people to see, see the documents and to use them for any research purposes. Among the cache's most intriguing clues is a heavily redacted document that shows a former CIA assistant deputy director for science and technology, quote, exhibited interest in one particular unnamed object. Apparently that's very intriguing. That's that's it. Uh, that... So I was I was going to do this as today's show uh, to to. Oh, parse, funny. Parse the documents and look, you know, and and. I was looking for, uh, you know, the top 10 revelations from the CIA UFO. There's nothing out there because nobody's, for, I don't think that the documents contain much. It's really hard to extract and no, nobody's really interested in doing it at the moment. And That's so they, hilarious. They've absolutely won. The CIA... That's has so checkmated uh, the world. That is amazing. So yeah, last year the Defense Department officially declassified shocking video taken by Navy pilots in 2014 and 2000 or 2004, excuse me, and 2015, which made international headlines when it was first released by former Blink 182 singer Tom DeLonge in, in 2018. That. So. Interesting. Yeah, that's pretty great how just as scary as the CIA and FBI can be, like they're pretty great sometimes with how yep. they're and even even in how they're uh, dealing with with hopefully will be a smooth inauguration day in the next couple of days. Uh, so those of you listening after inauguration day, I'm sorry for my. For my terrible prediction that things would go smoothly and that everything would be okay, I regret the error. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's just great to see all those little tiny tricks and secrets and and all that stuff. Like even watching that. Um, oh my! My internet connection is unstable. But even watching that Night Stalker documentary about how how they and that was the police, you know, the Los Angeles Police Department hunts down someone who does not have a specific motive or type of victim or location or like just completely random how they unravel a case like that so good for them uh well this is just a headline because i think most people have covered this up to this point but there have been lots of stories about lost passwords locking out people from their bitcoin fortunes uh, which is, I guess, write down those passwords somewhere that you don't throw them away in a hard drive. Uh, the one I heard, I believe, on the Not Nerd podcast was a guy that threw away a hard drive that's now buried in the in uh, Arizona desert E.T. style yep. uh, and wants them to un to unbury that. Well, it's uh, yeah, there's like two hundred million dollars there. Or something. It's ridiculous. That's so uh, crazy. I mean, the, can you imagine what that would feel like knowing that that's buried somewhere for two hundred and however billion dollars and no right. one will believe you or try to help you? Ah, okay. Well, I'll I'll have you pick because I'm I'm going a little long there. So um I have four stories left. You can pick um one of three and I'll I'll save the last one. So there's another super okay. spreader swinger party. 
Bill Gates own, becomes the top U.S. farmland owner or the National Rifle Association files for bankruptcy. Uh, let, let's go for Bill Gates and uh, farmland ownership. Okay, so let's see. Uh, Bill Gates becomes the U.S. Uh, top U.S. farmland owner. His largest land holdings are, holdings are in Louisiana, Arkansas, Nebraska, and Arizona. So researchers concluded that Gates, is now, who is the fourth richest man, to follow up to our earlier story, uh, owns 242,000 acres of farmland. Um, there is 52,000 more acreages than the, <laughs> whatever this means. They own roughly 52,000 more acreages than the Ofit family. Well, okay, thanks. Who sit on the number two uh, list of families who own the most farmland. So in total, they have acquired land in more than a dozen states. His uh, largest ones, like I said, are in Louisiana, Arkansas, Nebraska, Arizona, and Washington state. Uh, Gates is widely known as the man behind the tech behemoth Microsoft, and he's no stranger to agriculture. So since the 2000s, he and his wife had made a foray into agricultural space through numerous <coughs> investments to support farmers in the developing world. So in 2008, they announced $306 million in grants designed to boost yields and incomes of millions of small farmers in Africa, as well as other parts of the developing world, so they can lift themselves and their families out of hunger and poverty. So it almost sounds like these are almost a uh, research type facility right. for him to to i'd much rather him own it than <coughs> other factory farms monsanto and, and, yeah monsanto and places like that so yeah. yeah that's that's super weird yeah and bill gates has a team uh you know about five years ago i uh was i read an article about this about five years ago uh, he had a team at the time that was about a hundred people that are his uh, investors, uh, led by one guy who is the manager of the Gates Trust and the um, uh, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. They uh, have leveraged the. You know, sixty million, sixty billion dollars at the time, and and done crazy, crazy things with it by investing. They own railways and things in Canada, and so farmland. Uh, I wasn't specifically aware, but it makes sense both financially and R and D wise for the initiatives that they're doing for uh, conquering hunger and distribution of of medicine and and everything throughout the world. I wonder, so they must be putting the microchips right into whatever they're growing <laughs> so that he totally. can dot, dot, dot profit. <laughs> into your brain. Into yes. our brain. Well, I did have one last story here, which maybe this is why I've been feeling so good this last week, which is actually what you mentioned before we started recording. Election misinformation drops over 70% after social media platforms suspend Donald Trump. So... Um, since President Trump and his allies have been suspended from multiple social media sites last week, the misinformation about election fraud has decreased 73%. So a San Francisco-based analytics firm called Zignal Labs found that conversations about election fraud decreased by 2.5 million mentions down to 688,000. 
from January 9 to January 15. So uh, they found that the hashtags related to the Capitol riot also decreased since Trump's removal from social media. Hashtags such as blah, 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 whatever they're using, were widely used the week before the events. Um, and they decreased by 95%. So a separate study released this week by the Election Integrity Partnership, a group of misinformation researchers, found that a small number of conservative pro-Trump Twitter accounts had a large impact on the conversations being had on the site. So they found that only 20 accounts, including the president's own, were the source of one-fifth of the retweets related to voting information. So... Like you mentioned before we recorded, perhaps that's why it has felt so oddly calm in this last week, because there hasn't been the like one side of the argument balloon has been somewhat deflated. So anyway. Yeah. And uh, a lot of the people that were uh, freaking out about censorship on Twitter and censorship on Facebook because they've closed the account that was dealing with misinformation moved over to parlor and and <laughs> how that work out and all the other things and uh and then all of their vendors have shut down their services uh amazon web services which powers most of the internet um discontinued their their support and and you just can't launch a big mobile app that's worldwide you know millions of simultaneous connections without an infrastructure that's like aws and uh and so when that gets pulled you're not building one in your garage uh it it just it it takes years and years to build up that kind of infrastructure that's crazy yep that's so hi that's all the news i pulled for this week cool so i started with as I mentioned before, the dump of CIA information about UFOs. And as I said, it became a non-story really <laughs> fast. And there wasn't anything I could pull and go, oh, well, let's let's go down this trail or there was this thread or it, there, there's just not enough there yet uh, <laughs> as the information continues to be poured over. And I think we're only talking about like 2,800 documents, and so I don't, I don't think that there's years of study to be done. I think it's weeks. So that what but, they released is this. I mean, it said everything they have or whatever. So is this supposedly go goes back to the 40s and 50s and 60s and all that? Okay, absolutely. Yeah, there there were documents that I I, I pulled up a few of them. There were doc documents from 1941 and, and oh, wow. uh, such. So so yeah, it would be all that. And, uh, and so I was looking at, at different topics, and I came across something that I thought would be, it was absolutely the opposite. Uh, it was something that I thought would be a non-topic, and <laughs> I went deeper into the rabbit hole, and it became bigger and bigger, and uh, blends well with some other things that we know. So oh, cool. we have talked uh, about the Wilhelm scream before, and if you aren't familiar with the Wilhelm scream, you have heard it as a human. If you have ever watched a TV show or a movie, uh, the Wilhelm scream uh, was in a movie in 1951 called Distant Drums. And um, and basically a 
guy is carrying this woman through the, the, the lake and an alligator attacks him and pulls him down from underneath the water and we hear <laughs> and that little sound gets sampled and used throughout history since 1951 as the de facto falling scream noise including Star Wars and uh, you know, just numerous other other there's there, basically there's 2000 references to the Wilhelm scream in different media uh, around the world and so once you hear it a couple times you will recognize it every other time that you see it and it's called the Wilhelm scream and it's uh, it just kind of permeates as this reproducible item throughout we, I heard it this last movies. week in a movie called Quick Change which uh, is it it is kind of beside the point but uh, Quick Change is a movie from 19 I think 89 or something like that it's the only movie that Bill Murray uh, wrote and directed he co-wrote and co-directed it and it's about it's it's so funny and well made and all that and nobody ever talks about it nobody knows what that movie is it's where he um it's with him and G uh, Gina Davis and Randy Quaid and uh, Bill Murray robs a bank at the beginning dressed as a clown and they escape and then the rest of the story uh, is about them trying to get out of New York before being caught. It's it's a lot like adventure. It's like a grown up adventures in babysitting where okay. they just kind of go around and they're like, uh oh, there's this encounter and oh well, uh oh the mob and uh oh this and fun. But yeah, that was fun. totally uh, totally in quick change. <laughs> the Wilhelm scream. Uh, awesome. So similar to the Wilhelm scream, we have what's called the Amen Break. Are you familiar with the Amen Break? Uh, are we talking music or music in music? Um, I I know of a music break that's also very popular, but I don't think it's called the Amen Break. It's okay. Yeah. So the Amen Break in 1969, there was a funk soul band named the Winstons, and they released a uh, a single of their song "Color Him Father." And on the B side of that 33 was a song called "Amen Brother." So the Color Him Father went on to win the Grammy for Best R&B Song in 1969. And the B-side song, Amen Brother, went, continued into obscurity. But in 1974, there was a person in uh, New York called Break, uh, Breakbeat Lou. And Lou was a DJ and he and his partner, uh, business partner, took sounds and clips from albums and made compilations to be used by R&B recording artists. And they took this one little drum sample from that song, Amen Brother, that's a six-second segment, and they put it on that compilation album. That compilation album was then picked up by NWA and the song Straight Outta Compton had a, a use of that Amen break. And that started, and so that was 1974 was when the compilation album came out and then NWA was later than that. And so that started this permutation in all of R&B and uh, David Bowie, Slipknot, Skylix, all these all these bands started using the Amen break. And it's just a six second 
uh, drum solo that sounds like this. And so that six seconds has all the richness of uh, an interesting bass drum, a hi-hat that's tuned right, and, and that, all these things. If you listen to, there, there's a lot of musicians that reference this Amen break as being the definitive, uh, you know, six seconds of drumming history, if you will. And it's slowed down and used in uh, hundreds of songs. It's sped up and used in drum beats. It's like, uh, if you are a music aficionado, you will hear the Amen break throughout your life and you will hear it in all genres, all styles of music. I remember hearing it in a Michael, uh, George Michael song, uh, uh, stretched on your gray uh, oh and then a Sinead O'Connor song and I recognized that those two had kind of stolen from each other it turns out both of those songs were using the amen break oh, and wow. so uh, and so I thought that I had this revelation and I I had the revelation but at the wrong <laughs> direction if you will and so that's that's the amen break so all of this brings us to the Utah teapot uh, have you ever heard of the Utah teapot? Uh, I I had not. Is that what they're calling it? That's what they're calling it. So let's let's dive I into. I brought him back to my house and gave him a little Utah teapot. <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean. So so my my internet is acting a little squirrely, but but we're gonna we're gonna try try some stuff here. Okay. So I'm going to try and in um, season three, episode two of The Simpsons. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Uh, uh, Homer discovers another dimension and is sucked into another dimension of 3D animation. Yeah. And in 3D animation, you'll notice in one of the scenes in the back of one of the scenes, there's a teapot. Also, in the pipes screensaver of uh, Windows fame, you, uh, which I used to love watching. Yeah, that was so magical. So magical. Did you ever see the teapots? No. So hidden within the pipes screensaver were uh, these little nodes that occasionally would come up that were teapots. And instead of the little ball node, it would replace that oh, little ball okay. node. Oh, okay. I was looking at with... the. I was looking in the negative space, like the black background. Yeah, nope. But no, you're Look the at... actual joints of the pipe are the actual, actual joints points. of the teapots were actual teapots. Oh wow. Okay. okay. Uh, in Toy Story, oh, and there's a third one down there, the yeah. yellow, yellow one. Uh, in Toy Story, there is uh, the use of a teapot by um by our our friend um woody <laughs> woody and woody when he is doing the tea service is uh pouring tea from this teapot and in monsters inc there's also and i can't find the picture reference from monsters inc but the teapot makes a appearance in uh in monsters inc as well and so as we as we look at the correlation here like what's the thing in common is 3d animation and an homage to this teapot of 3d animation and so it 
is the Wilhelm scream of 3D animation. <laughs> the Utah teapot, or also called the, the Newell teapot, is a 3D test model. And I don't need to share this with you anymore. <laughs> uh, uh, and a common kind of hello world. Uh, so when we as programmers write uh, our first program in a new language, the first thing that you want to do is just output something and get it to print something or just the most fundamental of computer programming piece is called hello world. If I can get it to output hello world, that means that that language did the bare minimum, it did something, <laughs> right? And the the Utah teapot is for 3D animation the hello world of, wow. of that uh, world. So what happened is in 1975, a man named Martin Newell, he was involved in, uh, he was working in the pioneer graphics program of the University of Utah. And he created one of the very first 3D computer models. And as he set out to like, what am I gonna model? He was literally having tea with his wife <laughs> and his wife, Sandra Newell said, why not use the teapot? <laughs> and he did. So the teapot has a lot of very interesting aspects to it. It's, it's symmetrical looked at from, from one direction, but not uh, entirely uh, symmetrical in all all things. It has also what's called um, what's uh, I didn't write that down. It's a there's a a term for it has a hole through it. Uh, basically, okay. the handle uh, has a hole through it, and it's rounded and it's got flat segments and it's got all of the basic things that you want to be able to do if you model 3D information. Okay. And it has become the reference for 3D modeling. It's the hello world of 3D modeling. Wow. It's the Utah teapot. It's made the original teapot that he, so he literally um, took, I'll share my screen again. He literally took the teapot and then made a sketch of the teapot itself and uh, I shared my entire screen I didn't really need to do that <laughs> let me let me share just the little part so that it doesn't overwhelm your screen <laughs> so he took the the teapot and then made tons of measurements and he created the th the the teapot in 3D using mathematics and what's called bezier curves which is you've got two points create a line a bezier curve has two points with handles that you can kind of slide and make a curved line between those two points they're also the, known as the things i can't use in <laughs> in photoshop, photoshop. And illustrator <laughs> <laughs> and they help define what uh what the curve looks like between two points and so like the spout of the teapot is defined by points and then bezier curves be between them. So 
Uh, so this is the original sketch. And then the teapot itself is now housed at the Computer History Museum in Mountain View, California, oh, wow. the original teapot. The company that makes the teapot, Melita, has been purchased by a different German company, and that German teapot is still made today. And so you can buy your own reference uh, teapot. Wow. It turns out that when he created the 3D model, he failed to... Uh, program the base of the teapot and so the original reference teapot has an open hole at the bottom because it was never to be rendered okay and uh and also he squished it down by almost 30 percent uh height so took all of the measurements and squished them down so it looks a little uh flatter if you look at um so like this okay i see uh, this is the model. It's a little flatter, squishier yeah. than the original teapot itself. Uh, and so you can buy one today. Uh, I found one on eBay for about 30 bucks. And uh, so you can have one. Uh, so it's been referenced in, as I said, pop culture. Also, there was a 1987 document that was a research on 3D uh 3D modeling and how it works, and they established the six platonic solids, <laughs> which include the uh, pyramid and the dodecahedron and everything. And they they surmised that the teapotahedron, oh, teapotahedron, was the sixth uh, platonic solid. And so there actually <laughs> are only five, but the teapot was added in almost as an inside joke. Uh, in in this research paper that was then referenced in other things. So there's uh, other programming languages like OpenGL is used for 3D modeling and 3D information. And there's stock functions inside OpenGL source for rendering a teapot. And so it's just kind of baked into the core languages now and is ubiquitous uh within the 3d modeling community wow and so uh so that's that's, that's the utah teapot and and so nowadays it's also being used as a reference for 3d printing the same reasons for 3d modeling you can create a reference piece for 3d printing it's got all the curves the round things the hole in the middle all all of the parts that if your 3d printing is going well uh printing a utah teapot will validate that it's it's a solid printer and and does all the things that you want it to be able to do wow that's cool <laughs> i thought here um look up go to youtube or something and look up um incredible bongo band apache and when you first started talking about um, that piece of that piece of music that was sampled over and over, I thought you were talking about this one. And I don't know if you found been able to find a sample of that. But yeah, my my computer, my internet is. I'm surprised that we're able to talk. <laughs> I can't. Uh, I can't seem to get it to search appropriately. I don't have the. VPN, okay, hold on, so hold on a second. Makes, I'm gonna see if I can. Okay. All right. I, I see the Oops. Apache instrumental Wikipedia entry, but I can't open it. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna see if this picks up on the on the microphone. Hold on a second. Okay.
Can you hear that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sure, sure can. Yeah. So that little piece of music, um, not a, a lot of people know that for. Hold on. I think a lot of people know that for because it was uh, part of Carlton's dance in um, Fresh Prince of Bel Air. So that part has been sampled a lot. But there's a there's a little break beat at the very beginning of the song. Let's see here. And that's another one of those things that like every yep. single yep. song ever has had one of those two elements just as part of it, uh, which is really neat. It's been I think I talked about this before, too, but there's a, a podcast that I started listening to that um, now in the Internet age, a lot of what what I don't know what it stands for, but it's called STEM. And I don't know if it's S-T-I-M or S-T-E-M. But when you're talking about music production, it's the different tracks all layered in. Mm -hmm. And so people releasing like the full stem, the full tracks of these old songs and they'll go through like layer by layer listening to like and here's what the one tiny, you know, symbol sounds like. And here's what the yep. and just to hear how you know them take a sample or for them to add a whatever and then how it's just all piled on top of each other to make it's just yeah that whole process is fascinating to me that's, uh, that's fantastic all right well i didn't have anything else did you nope oh just the utah teapot yeah that's great the utah teapot that's so that's so provocative sounding for some reason <laughs> did, totally. <laughs> well thank you for everyone that's uh listening i hope everybody is having a good week stay safe uh no matter what goes on uh this week and um that's it listen to us on fun employment radio uh check out their supporters club so you can get all these shows early and get access to some of the other things that they do uh check out the unipiper at the unipiper.com and portland at the movies at portland at the movies.com uh see you later i'll probably take you out using apache uh, from the <laughs> incredible bongo band. Talk to you guys later. Bye.